trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Just want to mention I have some wonderful sponsors who make this program possible. Let me give them a quick shout out here so you know who they are. HSLMO.com, MonticelloCollege.org, also LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. You're actually going to get a chance to meet Seth, who is the owner of Garage Door Pros, a little bit later on in the hour. In the meantime, I had a chance to unplug from the Matrix over the weekend, and I just want to report back and tell you, the normal world is out there. I mean, the normal life <clears throat> that still exists outside of the Matrix. And if you uh, if you can find it in your heart to tear yourself away, even for a few hours, it, uh, it really does a remarkable thing to help uh, recalibrate your antenna and just kind of help bring things br- back into perspective. So I had some time to spend at uh, beautiful Bear Lake, which straddles the Utah-Idaho border. Gorgeous place. It actually rained on us a good portion of the time, but you know what? It's been so hot lately. I was I was kind of digging that. I was like, no, this is this is good. But it was a nice break from the news cycle. It was a nice break from all the political stuff. I guess while I was gone, uh, the the uh, legislature in Washington D.C. passed some kind of a uh, inflation fix it act or something. They're raising our taxes. In fact, if I'm seeing this right, they're not only raising our taxes, but as part of this bill, 87,000 new IRS agents are supposed to be hired. So they're raising our taxes to create more employees of the agency that's going to go dig through your financials to see if you owe more taxes. Isn't that great how that worked out, you know, for, for government and everything? Anyway, just the crazy stuff. But here's, here's the good thing. This is the good news that I want to report. Family is still where it's at. And I'm not saying this is the answer to everything because I know some people have pretty dysfunctional families, myself included. But if you are not putting at least a fair amount of your time and moral energy towards building and strengthening family relationships, you're missing out on something that is just vital. I don't know how a person can make it today with everything in the world that is crumbling to sand right in front of us or that is is changing all around us this is one of the few things that uh, that has actually withstood the test of time so sorry don't mean to get preachy but i want to tell you that uh it's it's very reassuring to spend some time with family and find that you know what this really is where the best stuff is so limit your media intake it's it's a very well developed fear delivery system don't get too caught up in it without taking some breaks every now and then. We all have to come up for air. And for me, it's it's unplug from the matrix, ignore the media for a while, stay away from social media, and it just works wonders. So let's dive in. Man, crazy stuff going on here. And I almost hesitated to share this story just because this has potential to alarm some folks, and that's not what I want to do, but... I, I want to share with you some thoughts from Brandon Smith, whose writing I have come to trust. I think he's one of the reasonable, informed, principled voices out there. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, you will believe every word he says, and he can never be wrong. We can all be wrong, but I, I don't think Brandon Smith is wrong very often. Based on what I see, he has a pretty good grasp of what's going on. And particularly, 
He's talking about the supply chain problems, why they will persist, how the system is being sabotaged. The reason I'm sharing this with you is not to get you alarmed and not to make you feel like, oh boy, here we go with the doom. It's because right now there is still time for you to better your position. If you're aware of what's happening. That's the only reason I'm sharing this. So a couple of quick excerpts. Brandon Smith says, in a recent interview with Bloomberg, the executive vice president of UPS asserted that regionalization of the supply chain is critical to economic stability as geopolitical conflicts expand. Now, Brandon says that term or that word regionalization is basically a code word to describe decentralization, a concept under a concept which the UPS representative obviously didn't want to dive into directly. But almost every trade expert and industry insider is admitting that supply chain problems are going to persist into the foreseeable future. And some are starting to admit in a roundabout way that localized production and trade models are the key to survival. Now, Brandon says, look, this is something that I and many other alternative economists have been talking about for a decade or more. And he has. The globalist dynamic of interdependency is a disaster waiting to happen, says Brandon Smith. And now it is happening. Without decentralized mining of raw materials, local manufacturing, locally sourced goods, local food production, locally integrated trade networks, there can be no true stability. All it takes for the system to implode is one or two crisis events and the economy's ability to meet public demand stagnates. The system may not completely stop, but it does slowly shrivel and degrade. Now, he says the war in Ukraine has been the go-to scapegoat for the last few months for supply chain disruptions. But Brandon Smith says these issues started long before that. Years of central bank stimulus and fiat money creation have triggered the inevitable landslide of inflation slash stagflation that alternative economists have been warning about. Price inflation, he says, is a direct contributor to production declines and supply chain disruptions because costs continually rise for those manufacturers. Also, wages of workers cannot keep up with rising prices, inspiring many employees to quit and look for for work elsewhere or attempt to live off government welfare. And all of that leads to less supply or slower production and thus even higher prices. Right? I mean, this all makes sense, right? So Brandon Smith says, we were right, meaning the alternative economists, and they, the mainstream media, was wrong, or perhaps they lied. He talks about Paul Krugman, who is kind of the regime apologist economist. He's the one who people look to, what do you think, Mr. Krugman, Dr. Krugman, what do, what do you think of this? And Krugman still is maintaining, well, no, we, uh, we never saw the, the inflation coming. Well, they did. But people didn't want to listen, or as Brandon Smith says, there were points of view they just simply didn't want to be heard. But Krugman is trying to convince us that, well, really, there's not even a recession going on. And I mean, it should be obvious to anybody paying attention, this guy is is just there to spin things in favor of the regime. But Brandon Smith cuts right through the fluff. And I really recommend, read it for yourself in the article. He cuts through the smokescreen that Paul Krugman puts out and says, look, the bottom line is this. Things are only going to get worse from here. Maybe slowly, maybe quickly, depending on a handful of factors. But the disinformation you're getting from the official government sources is what's keeping the public in the dark about what's about to happen to their supply chain. Now, maybe it's because of stupidity and ego. Maybe it's a deliberate attempt to keep the population docile. Brandon Smith says, I say it is deliberate. 
But he says, in either case, the American people are being put in great danger. Because when it comes to the when it comes to this false narrative on inflation and the supply chain, they're being led to believe the disaster is going to simply go away on its own. That means they have less time to prepare. Now he ties into this the focus right now on Taiwan and China's persistent threats to invade. And he, he has his own thoughts on this. One thing he points out though is that the US sources sources about twenty percent of its retail goods from China as well as a large portion of its medical supplies. But he says what's really concerning is China's monopoly on rare earth metals, which are integral to numerous electronic components. Furthermore, he says there's a pinnacle threat, which is China dumping trillions in U.S. treasuries and dollar holdings and virtually ending the world's, I'm sorry, the dollar's world reserve status. Now, he says China's not necessarily in the best position financially. They're on the verge of a debt crisis as well. But can you see that there's, there's a lot going on here? There's a lot of moving parts. And a regional conflict with China, he says, on top of the Ukraine war, could be the perfect smokescreen for a financial and supply chain collapse that was going to happen anyway. But when the mainstream media talks about the triggers and the culprits, they'll never mention central banks or political corruption. They'll only blame China and Russia. And I think he's right. I think that's exactly where their blame would go. So... Here's the, here's the bottom line takeaway from Brandon Smith's article, but I want you to read it for yourself. You can go to my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Brandon Smith says, Stagflation and supply chain shortages are going to become the all-encompassing issues of our era. And by that, he means they are terms that will be spoken about daily at every dinner table in America and probably throughout most of the world. But his point is, these are dangers that were predicted extensively by the Liberty Media well ahead of time. They're not a surprise. And there are plenty of institutions, corporate and government, that could have done something about them, but they chose not to. So Brandon Smith says it's important for people to accept this fact, or accept the fact, rather, that this crisis is not a product of stupidity. It is the product of malicious motives and intent. Now, I know that's a tough one to stomach, and maybe you don't agree. That's fine. I do happen to agree with him. I think what we're seeing is a deliberate demolition of our economy now you can uh, we can quibble over the reasons why it's taking place but it's hard not hard not to feel that something has really shifted just in the last couple of years this is the brian hyde show This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to give a shout out here to Garage Door Pros. You'll actually be hearing from Seth. He is the owner of Garage Door Pros. And I, I, I don't want to spoil what he's going to do. We're not going to talk about Garage Doors exclusively. We're going to talk more about Seth's life. He's an interesting guy. He is he's a really, really smart guy. You'll see that when, when we're talking with him. But I do want you to know, he is one of my sponsors. It means the world to me that he is uh, he is one of those businesses that is helping to keep me on the air and keep me uh, broadcasting this message for those who are looking for a slightly different slant on the truth. So if you can do business with him, if you're in St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City, talk to Garage Door Pros. Go to the website, Garage Door Pro Services. 
I promise they will take very good care of you. And again, you have a chance to meet Seth Schultes coming up in the final segment this hour. So I want to take a moment here to talk about uh, an article from Larry Reed from the Foundation for Economic Education. It's so funny. I just I, I came across an old column of mine that popped up from a few years ago, and uh, I was quoting Hannah Arendt. And, and it struck me because I've been thinking about this whole, what can I do? You know, what, what is it that I can do that is going to make some kind of measurable dis- difference in the world in terms of um, either slowing the roll of the evil that, that it just feels like is, is trying to permeate every, every facet of our society? And, you know, being a crusader, going out there with the sword and, you know, for the king and for God, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not suggesting anything like that. I'm talking more about how do I keep evil from coming into the world through me? And I think Hannah Arendt had the, the great observation here as to why evil seems to prevail so often. And she says it's not because it was evil people, you know, boldly carrying it forward. Evil has a tendency to succeed when average people simply can't make up their minds whether to be good or evil. In other words, when they just go with the flow, where's the majority going? And that's, that's where they want to stay, safely in the middle of that herd. It's kind of a chilling thing. Maybe you don't know the story, though, behind her observations on the banality of evil. Well, this is from Lawrence Reed. I think he's the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He says, nine months after the Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann <clears throat> died at the end of a noose in Israel, a controversial but thoughtful commentary about his trial appeared in The New Yorker. The public reaction stunned its author, the famed political theorist and Holocaust survivor Hannah Arendt. It was February 1963. And here's the deal. Arendt's eyewitness assessment of Eichmann is terribly and terrifyingly normal, took the world by surprise, and her phrase, the banality of evil, entered the lexicon of social science probably forever. Larry Reed says it was taken for granted that Eichmann, despite his soft-spoken and avuncular demeanor, must be a monster of epic proportions to play such an important role in one of the greatest crimes of the 20th century. I was only following orders, he claimed, in the colorless, matter-of-fact fashion of a typical bureaucrat. The world thought his performance a fiendishly deceptive show. But Hannah Arendt concluded that Eichmann was indeed a rather ordinary and unthinking functionary. How callous! A betrayal of her own Jewish people! How could any thoughtful person dismiss Eichmann so cavalierly? Aaron's critics blasted her with such charges mercilessly. But Larry Reed says they missed the point. She did not condone or excuse Eichmann's complicity in the Holocaust. She witnessed the horrors of National Socialism firsthand herself, having escaped Germany in 1933 after a short stint in a Gestapo jail for anti-state propaganda. She never claimed that Eichmann was innocent, only that the crimes for which he was guilty did not require a monster to commit them. Now, Larry Reed asks, how often have you noticed people behaving in antisocial ways because of a hope to blend in, a desire to avoid isolation as a recalcitrant, non-conforming individual? Did you ever see someone doing harm because everyone else was doing it? The fact that we have all observed such things and that any one of the culprits might easily, under the right circumstances, have become an Adolf Eichmann is the chilling realization. As Aaron explained, going along with the rest and wanting to say we were quite enough to make the greatest of all crimes possible. Now, Larry Reed says Eichmann was, was a shallow, clueless joiner 
someone whose thoughts never ventured any deeper than how to become a cog in the great historic Nazi machine. In a sense, he was a tool of evil more than evil itself. I like that distinction. Now, Larry Reed says, commenting on Aaron's banality of evil thesis, philosopher Thomas White writes, Eichmann reminds us of the protagonist in Albert Camus's novel, The Stranger, who randomly and casually kills a man, but then afterward feels no remorse. There was no particular intention or obvious evil motive. The deed just happened. Reed says, perhaps Arendt underestimated Eichmann. He did, after all, attempt to conceal evidence and cover his tracks long before the Israelis nabbed him in Argentina in 1960. Facts which suggest he did, indeed, comprehend the gravity of his offenses. It's undeniable, however, that ordinary people are capable of horrific crimes when possessed with power or a desire to obtain it, especially if it helps them to fit in with the gang that already wields it. And so Larry Reed says, the big lesson of her thesis, I think, is this. If evil comes calling, do not, be, do not expect it to be stupid enough to advertise itself as such. It's far more likely that it will look like your favorite uncle or your sweet grandmother. It just might cloak itself in grandilo- grandiloquent uh, uh, platitudes like equality, social justice, and the common good. It could even be a prominent member of parliament or congress. He says, Maximilien Robespierre and Louis-Antoine de Saint-Just, I suggested in a recent essay, were peas in the same pod as Eichmann, ordinary people who committed extraordinarily heinous acts. Now, Hannah Arendt is recognized as one of the leading political thinkers of the 20th century. She was very prolific. Her books are bestsellers still, nearly a half century after her death. She remains eminently quotable as well, authoring such pithy lines as political questions are far too serious to be left to the politicians. The most radical revolutionary will become a conservative the day after the revolution. And the sad truth of the matter is that most evil is done by people who never made up their minds to be or do either evil or good. Larry Reed says some of Aaron's friends on the left swallowed the myth that Hitler and Stalin occupied opposite ends of the political spectrum. Well, Hannah Arendt knew better. Both were evil collectivists and enemies of the individual. Hitler never intended to defend the West against Bolshevism, she wrote in her 1951 book, The Origins of Totalitarianism, but always remained ready to join the Reds for the destruction of the West, even in the middle of a struggle against Soviet Russia. Now, Larry Reed includes a few of her writings in this article, and I'm just going to kind of leave those for you to experience for yourself. It's linked in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. If you haven't subscribed, take a moment, go to my show notes, and just down at the bottom it says subscribe. Put in your email address. I will not share it, sell it, or otherwise trade it to anybody for anything. This is just for for my listeners who want a copy of my show notes. And this is the article from Larry Reed, Hannah, Hannah Arendt's Chilling Thesis on Evil. And by the way, I don't share that with you to, to make you feel bummed or feel like, well, is he, is he saying that I'm capable of terrible, terrible things? The truth of the matter is, Yeah, we all are. And rather than, you know, confusing ourselves or at least trying to convince ourselves, well, you know, but I would would only use my powers for good. The truth of the matter is most of us, if put into a bad enough situation, would be capable of doing some really horrific things. I'm not saying, therefore, you know, I guess you're justified if you do it. What I'm saying is when you realize that and then you choose not to do those horrible things, or not even the semi-bad or slightly bad things. That's where you become a better person. But you've got to have that choice. 
I mean, this may come off a little bit macho for some, but I've, I've kind of enjoyed the the meme that says, "Hey, if you say I'm not a I'm not a uh, a dangerous man, you know, because I'm I'm gentle." I think it was Jordan Peterson who says, "Well, uh, he said, oh, it's I'm a good man because I'm a gentleman," and he says, "If you're not a dangerous man who chooses to be good, then you're not dangerous. You're simply." I forget how he put it. He goes, you're a harmless man. <laughs> but he says, a truly good man is a dangerous man who nonetheless chooses to be a good man. I hope that distinction comes through. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a real quick shout out here to HSLAmmo.com as well as LifesavingFood.com. You'll notice that both of these sponsors sell commodities. I'm just going to throw that out there and just leave it for you to uh, take and do with as you will. Commodities that store well, that could be useful in good times or in bad times, and that are a good store of value as well. Just a little something to think about. If you check my show notes, you'll see a sponsors section. Click on the links there. It'll take you right where you need to go. So isn't it interesting that an FBI whistleblower just a few days ago leaked documents that showed just how far the federal government is reaching to pinpoint these violent extremists who threaten America? Now, that's been the, the refrain ever since January 6th, right? Oh, these dangerous, um, uh, violent extremists. I think there's there's another phrase they're, they're using for them, and I, I'm not sure on the acronym, but it's like militia-based uh, violent extremists. Bottom line, though, is when you look at the documents, which uh, were for internal use, you know, for the FBI, the things that they are looking at as indicators of potential terrorist activity, Wow. It's, I'm talking, you know, the Betsy Ross flag. I'm talking the Gadsden flag, a three percenter, you know, bumper sticker. Good heavens, if you are patriotic, there's a real concern that you might be part of the problem. Now, personally, I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's a bug. I think that's a feature of this whole weaponization of the entire federal law enforcement apparatus against anybody who recognizes that government has limits to its power. Well, we call them all extremists. We get uh, the professional alarmist at the Southern Poverty Law Center to step up and say, yes, yes, we've been watching these hate groups as well. And everybody who believes in freedom is lumped into the same ball as, oh, look, here's the skinheads. They're all like them. But is that really the case? Of course not. Although it's a little bit daunting, don't you think, to, to know that You and I, simply because we understand what our rights are, we're willing to claim them, use them, defend them, and say no when necessary. Oh, that makes you an extremist. Hey, I'm not the one out there with, uh, you know, trying to impose my will on other people at gunpoint. That's government that's doing that. All we're asking is to be left alone, to peacefully live our lives, pursue happiness without violating anybody else's rights. It's all this legal positivism. Well, but this law says that you have to do this, and this one says you have to do that. 
came across an article here from J.B. Shirk. I like, I like the way this guy writes. But he says, patriotism is kryptonite to America's communist class. And I think he's including the FBI in there. He says, Project Veritas' whistleblower materials revealing the FBI views the Gadsden and Betsy Ross flags, the Liberty Tree, and a smorgasbord of other revolutionary war symbols as evidence of domestic terrorism are just further proof that the Fed's secret police force no longer bleeds red, white, and blue, though it probably does give new recruits hammer and sickle tattoos. A federal agency with both intelligence gathering and law enforcement functions is dangerous enough to any free society. But he says one that openly views the spirit of 1776 as a threat to the Republic has lost any, lost any vestige of a more noble purpose to defend the country from its enemies. J.B. Shirk says something is surely rotten at the Bureau when it is more than willing to take a knee in a Marxist show of solidarity with Black Lives Matter's anti-American anthem protesters, but denigates pro-American emblems as evidence of violent extremism. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Shirk says, Independence Day celebrations each year must be grueling for federal agents trying to protect the nation from its own rebellious past. Now the, the, the patriotic displays of affection for the country have been labeled as potential signs of domestic terrorism, hot dogs, hot dogs rather, and fireworks require a new national security threat assessment. All agents be on the lookout for Americans engaging in too much fun on the 4th of July. Be advised children with patriotic face paint, persistent liberty bell ringing, and unexpected outbursts of support for freedom may warrant further investigation. Should you encounter any reference to the 1773 Boston Tea Party, the modern Tea Party movement, or a strong distaste for tea in general, call immediately for backup. At least as this much is clear. When the FBI honors America haters and vilifies American patriots, love for America is perceived not only as suspect, but also as dangerous to the deep state. And that says a lot about our current predicament. J.B. Shirk says, chalk up the FBI's hatred for Betsy Ross's needlework as yet another instance of a federal institution subverting its own mission directives to safeguard the country by somehow turning ordinary Americans into the bad guys. For those desperately trying to follow the Fed's new classification system and avoid arrest, Christians are now patriarchal white supremacists. America first voters are xenophobic fascists. Free speech proponents are threats to democracy. And gun owners brazen enough to believe in self-defense and the Second Amendment are straight-up murderers. Basically, if you pray to God, cherish the Bill of Rights, despise communism, respect national borders, or would defend freedom at any cost, you're a suspect. Hide your copy of Thomas Paine's uh, Common Sense and don't get caught flying the Bunker Hill flag on your lawn. It includes St. George's Cross, for heaven's sakes. Forget Paul Revere. You never knew the man, and he certainly never rode past your home in the middle of the night. And if anyone asks, Don't Tread on Me has something to do with a tire commercial. This is how absurd America's self-immolation has become. Ridiculous. In fact, J.B. Shirk notes, Have you noticed that hating America is more or less a job requirement for high office these days? Clueless Joe Biden and the commiecrats regularly disparage America as racist, sexist, genocidal, a land of evil. The woke military brass push Marxist critical race theory, transgender drag shows, and, and climate change dogma down the troops' throats. Obama spent his presidency traveling the world, apologizing for all the Americans who lost their lives these last two and a half centuries in defense of foreigners' liberation. 
and the State Department seems to specialize in cozying up to the worst communist dictators and authoritarian hacks around the globe. The intelligence community has decided that hunting down American patriots as domestic terrorists makes more sense than hunting down Islamic supremacists as foreign terrorists. And when they're not toppling historic statues and memorials, removing the names of founding fathers from public buildings, stamping trigger warnings on the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence, or rewriting America's story for their own nefarious Marxist purposes, the America haters controlling the vast federal bureaucracy dedicate their time and taxpayer-funded resources to lecturing Americans about why they've always been so darn awful. Now, J.B. Shirk says, what, absolutely, what absolute insanity, rather. Shouldn't the people who run America actually, oh, I don't know, like America? Is that really too much to ask? No nation dedicated to despising itself can long endure. He says, no government that treats its citizens as suspects can last. No society that attacks patriotism as if it were a cancer while injecting multiculturalism as if it were some universal cure can expect to survive. When common purpose and shared identity disintegrate, countries simply do not persist. They fade away or perish. Now he says, all of this leads to the remarkable truth. When battling the Great Reset globalists, working feverishly to demolish America and build a Davos state in its uh, wake. Defending America's history is a strikingly effective way of fighting for America's future. Here's what he means. J.B. Shirk is saying pride in America is like kryptonite to America's communist class. So never forego an opportunity to be patriotic. How many times have you heard a celebrity mouth breather express astonished annoyance at having traveled across the country only to see old glory waving prominently from every rural home and pickup truck throughout red state America? How many times have you endured the morally insipid and intellectually deficient musings of some professional athlete insisting the national anthem is a defense of some racism or some such bollocks? How many times have you heard some loony leftist politician or pundit claim that freedom is really code for white supremacy or that individual rights are systematically racist? He says, I hear that rubbish all the time and two thoughts go through my head. Number one, he says, the lib labs have uh, certainly taught the morons how to speak commie quite well. And number two, rejecting all of America's great historical accomplishments to appeal to a hateful minority with daddy issues only makes America's defenders stronger. Now, he says, I know I'm biased because unlike the FBI, I actually love America. (laughs) He says, we choose American freedom. They choose Stalinist slavery. We choose the Declaration of Independence. They choose the Communist Manifesto. We seek expansive liberty. They seek total compliance. In essence, we wholly embrace America's history while our enemies reject it. J.B. Shirk says, I like those dividing lines. They're firm and easy to understand. People will know exactly why they're fighting. And he's got a point there. He says, for all of these reasons, I suspect that's why our compromised FBI decided to turn Betsy Ross into a terrorist. After all, communism can't take hold without first purging inconvenient history. And America's historical fight for freedom is entirely inconvenient. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Listen, I'm really happy to welcome my next guest. His name is Seth Schultes. Seth, did I say your last name correctly? I think I've only yeah, said it once. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> and, and I have to disclose here in, in full disclosure, Seth is one of my sponsors. He is the owner of Garage Door Pros or GarageDoorProServices.com. We're not going to talk about garage doors so much, but Seth, just the conversations you and I have had have uh, have led me to understand. First of all, you have led, you've had an interesting life. And I don't mean that in the sense that, oh, you poor guy, everything that could go wrong. But but you, you have had some some interesting challenges and things thrown at you and had some interesting directions that I think really have given you experience to speak. So I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to get to pick your brain a little bit. Before we go any further, though, I just, I'm going to ask you, tell me just a little bit about yourself. Tell me, you know, what makes you tick for the sake of people who are meeting you for the first time. How are we going to know this is Seth that we're dealing with? Yeah. So, hey, nice to meet you virtually, Brian. Uh, so I'm Seth Schultz. Um, I'm the owner of, as you said, I'm the owner of Garage Door Pros here in Southern Utah. Um, so, yeah, I'm just... Uh, you know, I've owned several businesses throughout the years and, and things like that. And my most recent business was a, was a software business and it was kind of a global, globally used software. And, you know, I, I built that business 13 years ago, brought it to fruition and brought it up to, you know, a pretty major software that's used by tens of thousands of people all over the world to run events and things like that. And so, um, you know, I got to a point after COVID um, happened and stuff like that with all the lockdowns, I got, you know, I got kind of burned out on the software business because I was just working from home. I was, you know, stay at home dad <laughs> type, of, type of situation, you know, and, and you know, the lockdowns and, and not being able being able to go out and, and meet people and, and hold events and that type of thing. So, and my, my software was related, was, you know, the, it was related to events and ticketing and that type of thing. So everything pretty much shut down. I lost, we lost like 60% of our customers almost overnight when the started going wow. worldwide and that type of thing. So um, anyways, long story short, I, I was a developer, you know, software developer for a long time and um, decided to uh, make a change here recently and, and start giving, doing some things that I could do, you know, for the, for my community here in Southern Utah. You know, I wanted to start getting involved with the community, giving back to the community. You know, a few years ago I was running, I used to run, uh, run meetups here in, in Southern Utah um, related around website development and, you know, troubleshooting website issues and that type of thing. Mostly related to like WordPress. Uh, the, the WordPress is a content management system that's fairly popular amongst, uh, you know, small businesses and as well as large businesses all over the world. So anyways, uh, back to where I was going, I wanted to get back to the community and stuff like that. And, uh, a business op a business opportunity came up where I could uh, sell my shares in in Event Espresso and in, in the business my software business, and you know, focused on something else. And so I wanted to uh, I started looking at at companies here in Southern Utah that were for sale, and I came across a uh, garage door business 
um, earlier this year after I, you know, sold my other business and I, I jumped on it. This business came up for sale. The owner, the current owner or the uh, previous owner was, was moving to California and, um, you know, had, had a rough spell of, of things there for a little while with COVID as well. You know, COVID hit everybody pretty hard around here. And um, so he wanted to move to California with his family and stuff like that. So I bought the business and here I am. I bought it earlier this year back in, in uh, let's see, it's been March 4th, I guess. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, really, uh, really want to get involved with, with everything that's going on around here. And I think that, that going out and meeting people during the day with, you know, with the garage door business, selling them services and stuff like that has been a huge has made a huge impact on my, on my health and my, you know, my mental stability, um, this year. Cause with COVID and that, all that, I just was really struggling. That you know? isolation. Yeah. I think, I think it hit all of us harder than we want to admit. I know there's times I want to know, you know, it didn't really <laughs> bother me that much, but no, no, yeah. I, we all struggled with it. And, and still sometimes there's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It, it, it kind of racked us all. Now I have to ask, how long have you been in Southern Utah? Um, so I think it's going on nine years, almost ten okay. years now. You've been there yeah. for a while, then. I'm just, I'm just thinking how lucky you are. You know, this is <laughs> this is where you're setting up shop, or this is where you've set up shop. This is, you know, the community you get to work with. Um, man, it's hard to find a more beautiful place. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, a great. It's great. I love it out here, and the community is. It's a really good community. We have a pretty diverse community from you know. Salt, people from Salt Lake, as well as California and Oregon, and all over, all over, you know, the world, with uh, you know people visiting and and tour, you know, the tourists places like Zion National Park, Canaryville <laughs> Falls. They're on the map, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. So really- let me ask you this, because one of the one of the reasons I wanted to pick your brain today is um, you've learned some lessons along the way. There have been things in life that have gone extremely right. There have been things that haven't gone so great. turns out those are the ones we tend to learn the most from. But where you are right now, knowing what you know, Seth, tell me what is, what's the most important lesson you've picked up along the way? If there was, if there was one message to leave with, uh, with whoever's in earshot, what would you say you've learned that is like, hey, you should know this? <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the biggest lessons in my life coming from, you know, I've had a pretty diverse background and, you know, I've had a lot of negative things and impact my life early, very early on and stuff. And I think, you know, just, just being an honest person and showing gratitude, you know, is, is probably the the biggest lesson I've learned in life, you know, honesty and being an honest person and, and, you know, putting yourself out there, and just telling it like it is, is one of the best things you can do. You know, there's so many people that just go around and hide how they're feeling or hide, you know, how, you know, hide what they're, what they've been doing because they're embarrassed or whatever, or they're scared to tell people, you know, just get it, just get things off your chest. Cause you know, if you're not honest with yourself, um, you know, it could impact your, it can impact your night, your life negatively, you know, as far as your mental fortitude, stability and, and you know your health in general. Now you were telling me you take your health seriously, and not just men, not just your physical your physical health, but your mental health too. Right. Tell me what are, what are some of the ways that uh, you look after yourself physically? 
so physically, you know, I, I, I love walking and I try to get out and biking and stuff like that. And, you know, having a physical job where I can get out and I'm lifting, I'm building muscle every day. You know, I'm also building my brain as well. Cause I'm, I'm learning new things and learning new techniques and, you know, like on installing garage doors, that type of thing or programming, you know, programming was huge, really huge, uh, you know, thing that, impacted my my health somewhat negatively you know but it also grew my my brain my you know my mental my, my mentality and stuff like that grew substantially but you know when you're programming or sitting around all the time it's not really healthy you know it's bad for your back it's bad for your you know you get carpal tunnel that type of thing so I used to try to get out and walk and get out of the house I'd go out and, you know hiking and things like that you know and then, you know, reading as well. I'm an avid mm. reader. I'm always reading, you know, if I can't, you know, if I'm not, if I can't read, say I'm, I'm driving somewhere, I'll put on an audiobook. you know, Audible. And I love just, there's a, there's a vast expanse, you know, uh, you know, universe of books and knowledge out there on Audible. And I just, it's great. I love listening to business books, self-help, stuff like that. So that's how I take care of myself. I mean, you know, try to stay healthy, eat healthy, you know, watch my cholesterol. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting up near 50 now. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I have chickens and goats out in the backyard. So I got to watch my cholesterol and I ate too many eggs and, you know, but it's good to get out and I like to run, run with the goats and they, oh. they love getting out around the neighborhood and just, you know, and the scene, the scenery that you like have that. in Southern Utah, I mean, whatever you want to do outdoors, it's going to be sunny most days. Right, you know, you're right. you're going to find agreeable <laughs> weather. Well, yeah. listen, we believe it or not, we are up against the clock here. We are actually, uh, we, we've reached the end of our segment. I'm going to have you back on the show just because okay. I, I really think that, uh, I think you've got some great experiences you can share with us. I appreciate the insights that you've shared today. And, and again, sure. I'm, I'm talking with Seth Schultz. And, and he is the owner of Garage Door Pros. If you need to find anything out about garage doors, this is your guy. This is the one you want to talk to. But, Seth, I'll have you back on the show. Thanks, man. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Pleasure to meet you. This is The Brian Hyde Show.